Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Going well and and yeah, you know, we we love family here and I think that most of you who are here this morning at the very least like people. Would you say that? You wouldn't come for a baby dedication for that third cousin of yours if, uh, I know that Lindsay and um, family is just kind of like sprawled across the world, and, but whenever there's a Lindsay family thing, you're all together, and it's fantastic. But you know, you wouldn't do that if you don't like people, and uh, at the same time, I believe that people is, relationships is one of those most important things that we have in our lives. Would you agree? You know, with family support networks, that's how a person often gets out of difficult situations, gets out of things like depression, anxiety, recovering from difficult seasons of life, grief, and is that family support that is so important and so critical to our development. And at the same time, we also have this uh, a thought that is, uh, you, you can find it uh, quite easily. There's this thought that has gone around it that says that you are going to be the average of the five people you spend the most time with. That doesn't include your dogs and your cats, because you do not want to take on the personality of your pets. But the top five people in your life, you somehow become a bit of an average. I don't know if you want to take that literally. I, uh, it was coined by a business philosopher, and his name is Jim, Jim Ron. You can find him on the internet. I'm not quoting him um, out, of, out, of, out of context, but you know, he, he was talking about how somehow the people that we are around influences and help us to, to grow and help us to become who we are meant to be. And so in that way, relationships are so key to our lives, and doing relationships well, therefore, is so critical to our progress and our life, and, and that's what this whole Fam Goal series is about. Uh, we had a bit of fun with the titles. We always have a bit of fun with the titles, uh, but really, we want you to walk away out of this uh, next four weeks with some practical ideas on how can you strengthen your relationships, how can you have healthy, strong relationships in your life, and so we're really excited about this. I think Beck and I really have a passion to see strong, healthy relationships. Even uh, when we started our pastoral ministry, there was this was one of the things that we love getting involved in. We, we love seeing uh, whether married couples or just friendship circles grow and blossom and become strong. And, and so we are, we are really excited about this series. And I get to kick things off. And I want to, I want to, First, before we talk about relationships, talk about, I'm a nerd, in case you didn't know. The glasses give me away. My yellow skin is another indicator that I am a nerd. You're a nerd, Esther. We all know that. How many books have you already read this year? There we go. There we go. Nerd alert. I'm a nerd, and I love reading books. And I read a book recently. Um, I just finished it a couple of days ago, and it's called The Lean Startup. I love business books. And um, there was this uh, part of the book where the author talks about uh, something really interesting. He talks about something called vanity metrics. Vanity metrics. And basically, he talks about how we need to measure what really matters in order to know whether we are having progress or not. Make sense? If you don't know what success is for you, 
and you don't know what progress looks like, you could end up measuring the wrong stuff and get the wrong picture of where you are at in your business. And so uh, let's say as an example, you, you set up a company, a business uh, where you are producing this app um, and, and you believe that this app is going to change the world. And uh, you, uh, you can't sleep because this app is consuming you. You're like, man, this app is, is going to... I don't know, feed the poor, it's going to stop all world wars, it's, 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 it's going to make, um, I don't know, make everyone happy. And so you produce this app, you're working on it with your team, and launch week is in two weeks' time, and so you start to invest thousands of dollars into marketing. You buy Facebook ads, you buy uh, direct, uh, um, direct mail ads, you, you put the ads in the newspaper, maybe even some TV slots depending on how much money you have left, but you just want to get word out because you want people to know that this app is about launch. And, and so launch day comes um, and people start downloading your app. So exciting. Two days later, you find out that your app has been downloaded 10,000 times, which absolutely blows your mind. I, I actually don't know 10,000 downloads is a lot in two days. But anyway, let's just say it's a lot. It's a lot, yeah? How many of you really know 10,000 people? None of you. So, um, so you, you get 10,000 downloads in two days, and, and your team gets together, and it's like celebration. It's, it's like we have, we have killed this thing. This, we are going to succeed 10,000 in two days. Imagine in four days, it's going to be 20,000. In two weeks' time, it's going to be like a million downloads. You, you're, 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 you, you got this picture in your mind that you've, you've made it. You made it. And then in the midst of all this celebration, after you hit that 10,000 mark, one of your team members kind of goes, hey, hey, guys, um, not to rain on your parade, but uh, I've just checked up and on the, on the app store, our current app rating is two stars. It's two stars. It, the people are using it and they're like, this is really hard to use. I don't know how to use this app. And it looks like a great concept, but if I can't even log in, you know, we've got a problem here. And so, you know, how many of you might see yourself saying to that party pooper, we don't need your kind of negativity around here. We were just about to pop the bubblies. And you know, we, we have hit 10,000 downloads. We don't need none of your two-star ratings around here. So get out of the room. Come back when you're happy. You know, there's this disconnect sometimes in our life when we have something that is a vanity metric that somehow we use as a measure of our success, but it actually tells us very little of the progress that is really going on. How many of you know that in that example, it's pretty clear that you need to already start working on improvements, if not that two-star rating, if it doesn't go up, your 10,000 downloads is not going to go very far. In fact, the delete uh, metric is probably going to go pretty high up if you don't make changes soon. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about church. I was thinking about all the things that I'm doing. And I'm like, how do I know whether I'm truly making any progress? And then I turn my attention. And I think, I believe that the Holy Spirit just highlighted this is a great thing to use this concept of vanity metrics to, to, for us to actually understand our, our relationships actually going anywhere. Do we have relationships that are progressing, or do we have relationships that we think 
Make sense. Or we think that are going places, but really you've stagnated. And actually you are actually underneath the surface, slowly dying on the inside. There's a problem with vanity. Because vanity is a surface level, level thing. It is just on the outside. You can look completely healthy on the outside, but you could have some serious problems going on the inside. And a vanity metric only tells you that your outside is doing okay. But we need to go a little bit deeper. We actually need to evaluate what is truly going on on the inside. And I believe that this is a struggle that has been going on since the beginning of time. You see, at the beginning of time, God created Adam and Eve, put them in the Garden of Eden. It was the most beautiful place ever. All their needs were looked after. They had God with them all the time. Anytime that they needed, God was there with them. They had the most perfect of situations. Yet somehow, when the serpent came to Adam and Eve, he put forward a product. And he said, this product will change your life. It will change the way that you relate to God. It will change the way that you see things. You're actually going to be on par with God. And somehow Eve, we can read this in Genesis 3 verse 6. It says, Eve saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And so she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. They had a problem with their value judgment. They were using the wrong metric. And they saw this fruit, this forbidden fruit, as something that would add value to their lives. But it was simply a vanity. We all know that because they ate the fruit, sin entered the world, destroyed God and mankind's relationship, bringing corruption into the world, how many people would say that the fruit was of value? And I'm not trying to blame Eve here. I'm just trying to say that sometimes value and vanity are really hard to differentiate, are really hard to tell apart. And so for today, I want to put forward a couple of tests that you can use to determine, to discern whether you have got relationships that are of value or whether you have, have been building relationships that are simply vanity, that is just a, a breath of wind. It will go, and it will make no difference to your life whatsoever. And I'm going to base these two tests based on uh, the Bible, because I believe that true value can only be determined if you anchor it to truth. And truth, by definition, needs to be unchangeable and unmovable. If you have a moving truth, it's not really truth. It's just a gut feeling. It's just kind of uh, uh, goes where it wants to go. And, and, and so we need values that are based on an anchor point of truth and an anchor point of truth that doesn't change. And in my experience and in my understanding and in my studies, I've found only one place where truth can be found, and that is in Jesus. I know some of you in this room might not hold that same belief as me, but let me just put forward to you, where are you going to find truth from? And I ask this sincerely. I don't say this as, as just a throwaway statement. Where are you finding your truth, and where are you finding value from? Is it truly unchangeable? Is it truly unmovable? Is it something that you will bet your life on? Because I found that in Jesus, and I found that in the Word of God, and it gives me an ability to discern a value out of a world that is filled with vanity. 
Anyway, that's my perspective. You can take how you will with that. But the first test, the first test, I call it the pleasure versus purpose test. The pleasure versus purpose test. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, we read about a king, and his name is Solomon. And Solomon has gathered all his wealth and all his wisdom. And um, after a while, he started to think, you know what? I'm going to see where I can truly find value. I'm going to find a place, uh, I'm going to test things out to see whether I can find meaning in life, whether I can find fulfillment in life. And so one of the things that he did is that he tested out pleasure. You can read all about this in the book called Ecclesiastes, and it's chapter 2 that he writes about uh, uh, pleasure. And he says that pleasure is simply a vanity. Pleasure is a vanity. It comes and it goes. It makes no difference to your life. It doesn't bring any health and it doesn't bring any strength. And so in that way, we need to determine whether our relationships are geared towards pleasure or whether they are geared towards purpose. Whether our relationships are actually pushing us towards uh, uh, the meaningful existence in our lives. And so I, I, as I was thinking about this, I, I, I wrote up some questions that I want to ask myself, that I want to learn whether my relationships are geared towards purpose or whether they're geared towards pleasure. And you might not like them because I don't like them. But the first question, I put it out there, that I want to ask myself is, when was the last time a friend, a boyfriend, girlfriend, a partner, someone that you're close to, a family member, when was the last time you allowed someone to say something about you that was not so nice that you could work on? When was the last time someone gave you feedback about something that you don't like? Oh, sorry, that they don't like about you and you didn't fly into a rage and tell them that they are blind or tell them that they are stupid and that they don't love you and emotionally manipulate them until they back down and give you chocolates. <laughs> because if you are doing that, maybe, maybe, maybe you've got a relationship that's geared towards pleasure. Because when the relationship doesn't feel very pleasurable in the moment, suddenly you're like, I don't know why I'm in this relationship. And you start to back away. Now, I said that I don't like this question because even after four years of being married, which I know compared to some of you is not long, but Beck and I have had these conversations and they're not fun. But if my marriage is based on fun, it's not going to go very far. If my marriage is based on how much pleasure I get out of it, we are going to severely plateau and stall at some stage of life. And so we need to have these conversations. And I need to check myself. You know, I, literally, I think it was after six months of being married, I started to realize that I could quite easily tell Beck about stuff that I don't like. But I didn't really like it when she told me about stuff that I didn't like. <laughs> and then I realized that I got defensive pretty quick. Anyone know what defensive looks like? You know how ugly defensive is? I was completely ugly. And then at some stage, I was like, you know what? This is not good. This is actually revealing something within me. It revealed a pride in me. It revealed that I was not very teachable to my wife. 
and that I needed to change, and it wasn't nice. But the more I worked on this, the more I have sensed this shift in our marriage towards purpose. I realized that my strongest ally in my life is my wife. And she knows too much about me. (laughs) She knows my bad habits. She knows me when I'm tired. She knows me when I'm hungry. She knows me when I'm tired and hungry. And so she knows the dark black stuff in my life. And if she really loves me, she will tell me about that black stuff because a relationship is geared towards purpose and not geared towards pleasure. Here's another question that you could ask yourself. Who have you got in your life that you are accountable to? Accountable for that weight loss plan that you wanted to have. Accountable for that New Year's resolution that you keep failing at. When was the last time you had someone come alongside you and said, you know what, I really want to bring change into this area of my life. Can you hold me accountable? And I think accountability is lost in today's world. We become so caught up in our exterior looking like we're all together that we don't dare let someone in and say, hey, you know, how are you going in that area of your life? You know, I love that my senior pastor modeled accountability perfectly, I feel, in, in so many areas of, of, of his life. I remember that it was uh, probably about uh, a year and a half into to our church running previous, my previous church, and, and, and I was on staff at that time, and he sent an email out to the staff, and he said, uh, please reply anonymously to this other account and the results will go back to him but he said I realized that I haven't found out from you the people who work closest to me how how I'm going and so he wrote first question was a nice one it's like what are my strengths but the next question was like what are things I do that irritate you you know what are things that I could improve on and I was like this man who I consider a mentor, a boss, and, and just an all-round good guy. And I've been living with him for years. And, and he was still open enough to allow those that were working close to him go, you know, pastor, there are these areas that isn't so great. And I remember he, he got the results back, and, and, and we, we, we had a bit of a debrief session. And um, it was awkward because he was like, it's like, I didn't, I didn't know about that stuff. But he still did it. And he really worked on it. And it did something in me. I was like, why do I need to be perfect around, around people that I know love me and want the best for me? I don't have to be all clammed up and vain about my identity because these people truly know me and they want the best for me. But I realized that our world hates accountability. I remember a conversation I had with a, with a young man that had just joined our church. And, and you know, he, he had just come from a background of, of a lot of uh, uh, stuff that he, he started to realize were, were wrong and he needed to change. And, and so he had a conversation with me and he was like, Nate, can you hold me accountable in this area? Because I really want to see change. I was like, yeah, no worries. It's like, it's so great that you had the courage to say, I want to change in this area. I was really proud of him. And then two weeks later, he gives me a call and he's like, Nate, I, I, I really need to meet you. And you could tell in his voice that something had not gone right. Something was really bad. And um, 
uh, and so I was like, yeah, yeah, no worries. We put the time in, and he, he came, and he, he confessed that he really stuffed up pretty bad in an area, in that exact area that he wanted to change in. And as we can, uh, continued the conversation, there was so much remorse in him. There was like, I don't know why I keep failing at this. And there was a certain part of him that seemed to say, Nate, I know that you probably hate me right now. And Nate, you probably think I'm the worst person in the world right now. But I've stuffed up and I, I don't know what else to do. And, and in the midst of this conversation, I, I had this conversation. I, I, I just asked him, so, so when you ask me to be accountable, when you ask me to be your accountability partner, um, why, why, didn't you, why didn't you call me before that event happened? And he was genuinely shocked. He was genuinely shocked. And he was like, oh, I thought, I thought accountability was that when I stuff up, I have to confess to you. And I was like, that's a new one. I haven't heard that before. And I was like, no, accountability means that I'm in your corner, that I want the best for you, that, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, when, when you're tempted, I'm going to say, let's go get a coffee. Let's, let's go for a run. Let's soak your head in a bucket of ice cold water. We'll do something, you know, we'll... I, I want to be there for you. I'm not taking this lightly. And he was like, oh. And I was like, I'm not mad at you for getting this wrong in, in terms of that area that he started. I'm mad that you didn't use me as a proper accountability partner. And he was like, okay. But how many of you have got people in your life that are actually in your corner, that are truly fighting for you? Or, or do you just have friends that fluff around and tell you stuff that you want to hear? Maybe they tell you, go get drunk further because you're more fun when you're drunk. Or do they tell you, sober up because you've got a purpose and destiny on your life and you need to get your brain in order. Your liver's about to cock it, so stop drinking alcohol. Do you have friends that are pushing you towards death or friends that are pushing you towards life? Have you got friends that are geared towards purpose? Or have you got friends that are geared towards pleasure? When you truly check yourself it's not nice because sometimes you realize that you've been the bad friend. You've been the friend that has been geared towards pleasure. And I realize that sometimes relationships are not all fun. But they are meant to be good. The Bible tells us that. The Bible tells us that two are better than one. And a three-quarter rope will not easily be broken. God loves relationships, but He loves relationships that are geared to its purpose and not to its pleasure. Second test, ooh, running out of time. Second test is the comparison versus contentment test. Again, going back to King Solomon, he writes this in Ecclesiastes 4 verse 4. He says, Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. He basically says, all the stuff that people put their effort into often comes from a place of envy and a place of comparison. And I realize that many relationships are ruined, mine included, because of comparison. So for example, my, my first romantic relationship, I went in with some ideas of what a relationship should look like. To give you an idea of how weird I was, um, I remember my uh, sister 
and her then-boyfriend were dating, and I had this conversation with them, and um, they were talking about what kind of dates they went on, and I just said, so you've never been on a movie date before? And it was like, this had been like a year and a half. They'd not gone on a movie date before for a year and a half, and I was like, you have not gone for a movie date. I was like, you, are you even dating? <laughs> I was like, what is wrong with you guys? You've not gone on a movie date yet? Anyway, anyway, so I brought a whole bunch of weird concepts about what relationships should be. And, and, and the truth is, there's something really beautiful and ugly about hindsight all at the same time. You know what I mean? You know, it helps you so much, but it's also like, I don't like hindsight. But I, rem- I, I went to a relationship thinking that she needed to perform certain roles in my life in order for us to have a great relationship and I had all of these ideas of what she was meant to do because of comparison you see I realized that comparison creates fantasies in our mind I'm not talking about weird fantasies I'm talking about fantasies in the sense that they are not real they are just a figment of our imagination and you know what Single people, can I just talk to you for a moment? Some of you hate the idea of being single because you don't want to go to that birthday party without a plus one. You've had this fantasy in your mind that simply by having a plus one, other people are going to think that you're doing okay. That is a fantasy, and that is empty, and that's just going to disappoint. I treated my girlfriend like a plus one to my life a trophy in the trophy cabinet. And I went around my life parading her around, looking, it's like, look, I got the good girl. I got the, I got, look, look at what I got. And, and she got tired of it, and that's why she dumped me. <laughs> and I'm glad that she did, because it started me on a journey of realizing that I had some fantasies about life and how I look like and what I was meant to look like, they were actually destroying relationships in my life. You know, we talked a lot about romantic relationships. This whole comparison thing also reared its ugly head in my life when I was a, a team leader, a pastor at my previous church. I'd just become the youth pastor and, again, hindsight, beautiful but extremely ugly all at the same time. And I became a youth pastor and... I wanted to be a good youth pastor. I really wanted to, um, to, to show that I could do this and, you know, help the church out and all that kind of stuff. But I had this weird expectation and this weird fantasy that to be a good youth pastor, I needed a big youth team and an even bigger youth group. And so I started on this journey of collecting as many leaders as I could and then um, and through that, trying to get the youth group as big as possible. And it worked for a while because our youth group got to 15 team, uh, team members and about 60 youth all together. And, and, and that in those days, like it was that long ago, in those days it was pretty good to get your youth group to that kind of size. And so I was like, look at that. I'm a good youth pastor. I'm doing real well. And then the turn of the year came. And it went into like, I don't know, it probably was 2012 because it felt like the whole world fell apart. For those who know what 2012 is meant to symbolize. And um, I remember a whole bunch of people saying, oh, Nate, it's my time to move on from youth. And so they moved on. And so my team became smaller. And then at the same time, the number of kids that came on a Friday night went from 60 to 30. 
and suddenly I went from good youth pastor to a pretty average to maybe a bit of a crappy one. Suddenly my world was falling apart. And so I started to try to collect more youth leaders again. I tried to grow things. I tried to get it big again. And it was only after many months that I realized that I had a problem of comparison. The idea that a, 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 a good youth pastor would have a big team and a big youth ministry all came because, I don't know why, but maybe in the church world, we need to change some stuff. Every time I met up with another youth pastor, it's like, so how many people did you have on Friday night? How many people did you have? How many salvations did you have? You know, how many broken arms did you have? As part of youth ministry, no broken arms, you're not doing anything right. And we did have a broken femur, didn't we? That was a good one. Didn't have to do anything. It was just like in the middle of a song. Anyway, for those who know the story, it was a funny one. Um, but, but we have this comparison mindset. It's like, oh, that, that guy, everyone says that he's a good youth pastor and he, he's got the big youth group or, or she's got that, that, that influential youth ministry. Why is it influential? Because she's got more people than you. Suddenly it became the way that I saw my leadership and my ministry. And I'm, I'm sick of how I used to operate because when I look at it, I, I just wanted people around to make me look good. But I didn't really invest into their lives the way that I should have. I saw them as pawns in this big chess game and I rationalized it as well. I'm working for God, so maybe it's all right. But there was something about this comparison that was causing me to toil and to work all for vanity. Some of your relationships you're holding on to because of that comparison mentality, that fantasy that drives you because it feels like what you should have. But it's a vanity and it will just be blown away like the wind. You know, these two tests, at the end of the day, it does something really interesting because it, it starts to tell me about where I'm placing my value about how I'm getting my value. That sometimes I get my value from fantasies, and sometimes I get my value from just, you know, people enjoying being in relationship with me, and because they look happy, I must make them happy, so maybe I'm of value to them. I'm being real here. We don't talk like that enough, and so we got crappy relationships we got terrible relationships. You would rather be in that group of friends that always tear you down because at least you've got the security of having friends rather than stepping out and finding other friends that truly value you and truly see the worth in you and are truly able to speak into you. But it's scary to move when you've been so caught up in relationships that are based on vanity and to move to a place where your relationships are based on value, where, where once your relationships were all about pleasure and, and, and now you're trying to move your relationships into a place of purpose. It's not easy from a place of fantasies to a place of contentment and I realized that there's one important thing one key thing that everything hinges on and that is where we get our value from I've been in a place where other people spoke their value into me 
and I was so scared, so scared that they would maybe see beyond the vein surface and see what was down on the inside. I was so scared that they won't like me. And so I always needed to be perfect. That was a fantasy that stuck with me for many years. It was a fantasy that drove me to work so hard and to get everything going, but it left me empty and dry. And the truth is, no relationship, no earthly relationship can truly give you the value that you are searching for. And that is why, to finish off today, if we can get the band up, the most important relationship we could have is with Jesus. Because Jesus is big enough for us to depend on. Because Jesus is big enough to give us value without losing value himself. Jesus is big enough so that we can, we can be like the leech on the side of him, sucking the life out of him, but he's still got enough to give. And that's what I found. I tried to find another human being that could fill my needs, and I drained her dry. And so she dumped me. I told you about this. But some of you are doing that with your relationships right now. Some of you are looking for someone to tell you that you are a person of meaning, a person of purpose, a person of value. And I've found that when people say that, it makes you feel good for a little while, but it disappears. Even in marriage, there's only so much Beck can do to prop my ego up. It's a pretty big ego. It needs a lot of propping up. And there's only so much that Beck can do. But I found that with Jesus, it's a never-ending stream of life. It's a never-ending stream of value. It stops me striving and chasing after vanity and toil. And so this morning, to finish off, I would like you to I would like to introduce you to Jesus if you've never met him before. See, this is one of the big problems. It's an age-old problem. Right from the beginning, Adam and Eve, they saw being God's equal as the most valuable thing that they could have. And so they chose that. And I think many of us are still trying to become of that kind of value, and that's why we're striving, but nothing puts us on the same plane as Jesus except what Jesus has done. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, it says, I made you righteous, which means that you have now got right standing with God. God would value you enough to die on the cross in order to give you life. I don't know where else you can find that kind of value. I don't know where else you can find that worth. And if you want to live your life with relationships of value, you need to first understand your value in Christ. So if I can get every eye closed and every head bowed, this morning I would like to pray for people that would like to find their life in Christ. The Bible teaches us, it's real simple, that all we have to do to accept Jesus into our lives, to receive salvation, is to confess with our lips and to believe in our hearts that Jesus 
is Lord. And so what we're going to do is that I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And all of us are going to say this prayer together. You don't have to be the one shouting it the loudest. You just have to be the one that believes it and the one that's really confessing it from your heart. And we're all going to say it. I love saying this prayer because I need reminder. I need that, that fresh reminder all the time that my worth is based in Jesus and what He's doing in my life. But we're going to say this prayer together. But what I'm going to ask you to do, just so that we know who we are praying for and, and so that we can place some resource into your hands right after this experience, is to just pop your hand up and then back down again. I'm going to count as three and then um, uh, you can put your hand up and then back down. So I just want you to think about this. I just want you to sit in this moment. If there's a stirring in you, it might be the Holy Spirit trying to get through. So I'm going to count as three now. One, two, three. Is there anyone in this room that would like to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Fantastic. Awesome. All right, let's say this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I know I have sinned. I know I've stuffed up. But I want to invite you into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.